apathy because they knew that after the Cold War, under a world system, they'd have a lot of people on their hands, a world society going through massive transition as the UN would amalgamate different countries together and bureaucrats would be rushing back and forth doing all their deals, bringing all this world system together. And they'd have a population in the West who'd been trained, and I mean trained, to be good producers and consumers. That's the definition of a good citizen under the United Nations. But they also knew uh, that they wouldn't have to keep us happy for so long. We'd end up not having the money uh, to purchase all the stuff, all the little carrots to give us. So here was their plan to get back with more after these messages. Martin E.P. Siegelman in the United States, 
who was doing experiments in the United States uh, in the 60s. And you'll find some of this from the University of Pennsylvania. The great universities, the, the, the lights, they call themselves, since they're all high masonic, uh, the lights uh, are the ones who are supposed to guide us all along this path, the luminaries. This is about learned helplessness, and it's to be used on the whole population. So believe me, when you're experimenting with dogs or animals or chimpanzees, they have you in mind. In early 1965, Martin E.P. Seligman and his colleagues, while studying the relationship between fear and learning, accidentally discovered an unexpected phenomenon while doing experiments on dogs using Pavlovian classical conditioning. Now, that's used in many areas also of school, classical conditioning. As you may observe in yourselves or a dog, when you are presented with food, you have a tendency to salivate. Pavlov discovered that if a ringing bell or tone is repeatedly paired with this presentation of food, dog salivates. Later, all you have to do is ring the bell and the dog salivates. However, in Seligman's experiment, instead of pairing the tone with the food, he paired it with a harmless shock. He's talking about electrical shocks here. Restraining the dog in a hammock during the learning phase. So, so the dog was to be taught through getting shocked when it had its natural responses and had it in a sort of strung-up hammock. The idea then was that after the dog learned this, the dog would feel fear uh, on the presentation of a tone and would then run away or do some other behavior. This is all in taxpayers' money, to remember, and foundation funding, because you find Pentagon and big players are involved in the findings of this are tremendously interested. Next, they put the conditioned dog in a shuttle box, which consists of a low fence dividing the box into two compartments. The dog can easily see over the fence and jump over if it wishes. So they rang the bell. Surprisingly, nothing happened. They were expecting the dog to jump over the fence. Then they decided to shock the conditioned dog, and again, nothing happened. They can imagine these guys who could live next door to you with families, going off to work, and, and here they are electrocuting an animal, and, and all the, the only emotion they have is, is excitement at the findings. Just like Aldo Huxley, he was the same. The dog just, uh, just pathetically laid there. Hey, what's going on? When they put a normal dog into the shuttle box who never experienced inescapable shock, inescapable shock, that means no matter where you moved, what you did, you'd still get shocked. The dog, as expected, immediately jumped over the fence to the other side. Apparently, what the conditioned dog learned in the hammock was that trying to escape from shocks is futile. Do you hear that? Trying to escape from the shocks is futile. The dog has been trained that no matter what it did, where it jumped to, it would simply lie there and quiver in apathy. And that's the point of it. It's a, it's a teaching and a learning of apathy. This dog learned to be helpless. This result was opposite to that predicted by B.F. Skinner's behaviorism which argued that the dog must have been given a positive reward, like a yummy dog biscuit, just lie there. In order to salvage their position, they even went so far as to suggest that the cessation of pain acted as the reward for the dog to sit. But this, this was not a very good argument. One could alternately argue that when the shock went on while the dog was sitting, it was being punished for sitting. Reminds me of that old joke, Q, why did the man pound his thumb with a hammer? A, because it felt good to stop. 
These, they love how the little jokes they can put in that all is cruel to. These observations started a scientific revolution, resulting in the displacement of behaviorism by cognitive psychology. What you are thinking determines your behavior, not only the visible rewards or punishments. The theory of learned helplessness, tremendously important as to what's happening today, and it'll get worse too as they bring up uh, the expenses of everything that's transported, that's everything you buy, uh, and, and horrify you with the, the coming terror that's supposedly everywhere, and the plagues and all the rest of it. It's all to create a, a state of learned helplessness. Then you look to the big brothers, the big ones, the experts for advice, and they'll tell you exactly what to do, where to go. So it provides for a model for explaining depression, a state characterized by lack of affect, that's normal, normal emotions and responses, and feeling. Depressed people become that way because they learn to be helpless. Depressed people learn that whatever they did is futile. During the course of their lives, depressed people apparently learned that they have no control. Learned helplessness explained a lot of things, but then researchers began to find exceptions of people who did not get depressed, even after many bad life experiences. Seligman discovered that a depressed person thought about the bad event in more pessimistic ways than a non-depressed person. He called this thinking explanatory style boring ideas from arbitration theory, attribution theory actually it's called. For example, let's say you fail a math exam. How do you explain away or why? You could think, I am stupid. You could think, number two, I'm not good in math. Or three, I was unlucky. It was Friday the 13th. That's a Masonic joke. The math teacher is prejudiced. Five, the math teacher grades are hard. Six, I was feeling ill that day. The math teacher gave especially hard tests this time, etc., etc. Seligman found that these explanations could be rated among three dimensions, personalization, internal versus external, pervasiveness, specific versus universal, and permanence, temporary versus permanent. He found that the most pessimistic explanatory style is correlated with the most depression. The statement, I am stupid, is classified as internal use of I, universal and permanent. This response conveys a sense of discouragement, hopelessness, and despair. They understand this is really for warfare purposes, although they'll always say it's for mental health or whatever the excuse to use. On the other hand, a more optimistic person would blame someone or something else, such as the math teacher gave an especially hard test this time. The most optimistic explanatory style is external, specific, and temporary. Conversely, for a good event, the explanatory style reverses. For example, for a perfect score in the math exam, the depressive, the depressive would say, I was lucky that day, discounting his intelligence. The optimist would say something much more encouraging, such as, I am smart. We often learn explanatory styles from our parents. Well, that's been broken too, which must mean there's more uh, pathetic and, and apathy-type uh, people out there today. There are advantages to both optimistic and pessimistic explanatory styles. Certain jobs call for an optimistic outlook, such as inventing or sales. Other jobs, such as accounting or quality control, call for a more pessimistic outlook. So Seligman wrote a book called Learned Optimism. And 
that's that's one of the external things that they do. They'll often do these big, tremendous year lot, many years, in fact, of investigations and experimentations, and they put a book out to the public, and you think that's what they're really all about. But of course, there's a whole series or, or many volumes of books gone to the big boys, the controllers, to the to the Pentagon, to the psyops warfare departments, because that's where the real data goes. It's all about controlling the public through the creation of apathy. Now remember, Lord Bertrand Russell also talked about creating apathy amongst the public in order to control them all the much better. Very, very important in psychological warfare. And they've used both methods up until recently. Uh, the, the optimistic one and the depressive one. The depression one is now setting in. And I'll explain these after the fallen break. Hi, folks. I'm Alan Watt, and we're cutting through the matrix. I was explaining how they create different types of moods in society according to the time period that's been planned and we're working through. During, during the 70s and, and 80s and starting off fresh in the 60s, we saw this explosion in the West of supposed, supposed freedom and do your own thing that came from the top down, not from the bottom up. And we know that the CIA and MI6 were in the culture creation business. We're told to be happy, 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 and uh, have a lot of fun and act like bunnies at Easter, which wasn't hard to encourage, especially when the pill came along. And uh, who was to think about it at the time that the whole idea was to destroy uh, the old system and uh, relationships and marriage for the coming system? It was already planned to occur after the Cold War was over and the world all became as one. And then, of course, they, have, uh, they would have uh, subcategories of genders until any idea of what once was normal would be eradicated, even the memory of it. And that was very, very important to them, not because they like all kinds of people or those in between, but because they had to eradicate just to say the memory of any sort of normality whatsoever because it had planned to go through into a new world order with new types of creatures that would be grown specifically for their tasks right out of brave new world. And that is on the cards and it's coming down. But during the time period, as I say, when we're told to have fun, out came credit cards for the first time, a bit cheap, easy credit for everyone. Whereas before that, you couldn't get a credit card, you couldn't even get a loan unless you had something to back it up with, the house or something of value. And here they are throwing them at you because they wanted to create a feeling of optimism and consumerism, just buy, buy, buy. And when you're all buying and happy and content with all this glut of stuff, then you're not really watching or thinking too much for yourself. And we never, ever had so much entertainment churned out. I can remember... In the late 70s, they said that one of the biggest exports of the United States, I think it was the second largest outside of uh, missiles and weaponry, was um, movies from Hollywood. Churning them out, and people just ate them up. 
very important part to go through. But now is the time, now that everything's over, uh, the fake East-West scenario is done. They're bringing the new scientific era into view. The new world order, the one that Bush Sr. talked about on September the 11th, 1990, and he also repeated it on September the 11th, at, um, 1991. They love that date. It's very important because that's when you see a goddess was born out of the head of Zeus, a new type of goddess, uh, kind of male-female warrior type clad in armor, born by her or its own free will. It made itself be, came into B-I-B, as you say. So, we're going along this path, and now they're taking away the credit cards. We saw that happen when they started to come after people who couldn't pay and confiscate all their goods and make them pay regardless by law. Because before they could just declare bankruptcy. And we see that everything going up through the roof, the cost of living, because now is a time to induce the sense of apathy and fear. As people happen to notice many years later, mind you, but now they're noticing we have no factories left. They were too busy enjoying all this stuff with their credit cards when the factories were getting put abroad into China by their own governments and by their own tax money, funding it, by the way. We paid for the uprooting of the factories, the setting up of the factories in China, and we're paying for the you know, losses incurred up to 10 years if the companies so declare. All done through the GATT Treaty. Another thing that most folk were oblivious of because we're too busy having fun. And the GATT Treaty was a general agreement on trade and tariffs. It was a whole new world system. As I say, now the time for bringing in apathy comes. Apathy. And it's coming in all around us. People are going into psychiatrists like never before and therapists and all kinds of new age therapists too because they're so unhappy. They can't explain why. They just know that things are kind of wrong. And apathy eventually gives you this learned helplessness. There's nothing you can do about it. And that's reinforced by all the myriads of governmental agencies now in operation telling us all what to do, what to do. Training us for another part of the scenario, which is eventual depopulation of society in a, a fairly rapid scale if they get their way. It's also part of the, the agenda to move whole peoples from one area of a country to another area of the country under the guise of either terrorist attack or plague. They want a full-scale scenario of refugees, like a real war. This is a war, remember. They don't use this word lightly, a war on terror, even though it's, it's all hypothetical to the average person. It's all rather vague and abstract. They're using these terms deliberately because it's a war to the public, but there's another meaning to the war for those in the know. They have their war rooms, for instance, at Yale, at Skull and Bones, and all high major Masonic institutions. I'll explain what I'm talking about after these messages. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. 
because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt, cutting through the matrix, and I'm going to take a call because we're at Alan from the UK calling from our phone box, I believe. He just dropped off, Alan. Oh, he just dropped off, the pity. He might call back. If he does, I'll try and grab him quick. But um, talking about the apathy and so on that's been created today, now they're taking all the goodies away and manipulating the oil prices, gasoline, diesel, and all the rest of it, which means everything transported to the stores, everything you need, is shooting up in price. But they also want a full-scale war scenario on the go, a constant war. Remember what Rumsfeld said, this could be a hundred years' war. Look into your history books and look into all the nights and all the wars that they created down through the centuries. Look into the hundred years' war and the thirty years' war and all these numbers they put on their particular wars because each war was designed to bring a different society out at the other end of it. Remember what Professor Carl Quigley said, Professor Carl Quigley said that you can get more done in five years of war on a social level, meaning social change, cultural change, than 50 years of peace and propaganda. So war has a different function uh, than the general public understand or comprehend it. And war, too, has always been to loot countries. It hasn't changed, never will change as long as they have wars. They loot because there are masters in this world who believe it's their right to loot, as long as they do it cunningly and craftily. Uh, That's how it's done. They they make it legal to do so, you see. What is legality? It just means that those in power have written a law to allow themselves to do as they wish, just like the whole anti-terrorism bill and the Patriot Act and all the rest of it. Uh, That means you're stripped of all your rights. In fact, you have no rights. You can be lifted, imprisoned, without charge, and held indefinitely, and no relative needs to even be informed that you've been taken or what's happened to you. And this is in the 21st century. It's quite amazing, really, because in the United States, that was one of the beefs they had about the, the British and Hessian troops who came in, mainly Hessian troops stationed on American soil after they'd finished off the French and grabbed it for jolly old England. And then before the the, the Civil War started, the American Independence War started, one of their beasts was the fact that they could grab anybody and hold them indefinitely without charge. And here you have it, as happened here on a whole continent without a whimper from the general public who live in television land. We live in the conditioned fantasy land that's been promoted, indoctrinated into them, and they have no ability to perceive things for themselves mainly because they have no true identity of themselves as individuals. They are composites, composites of their indoctrination. That's why they can't stand back and perceive and look and come to judgments for themselves. You don't need the media to come to a conclusion for you. Remember, that's what Zygmunt Brzezinski talked about. Others talked about it. Many others and published it in their own books. These are big players in warfare departments and psyops warfare schemes because rule is always by deception, always by deception. And 
the whole idea is to alter your perceptions at the bottom level so you think nothing is going wrong, even though the evidence is all around you that it is going wrong. We're already in a scientific dictatorship. And Brzezinski said shortly the public will be unable to reason for themselves. And how we judge our sanity as individuals is to bounce ideas off others in conversation. We don't realize we're having politically correct conversation all the time because what comes out of the mouth of the other person will be the latest indoctrination from television or a show, a show they've watched or even the topic itself. You see, it's all politically correct. As long as you part the same stuff back, then you must be all right. So we're all sane together. We're all talking about the same things. We all understand the same shows that we watch. That's how they come to the conclusion we're all sane. And here's someone coming along and saying, do you know what's really happening? And you start filling them in with the data. Well, you're from a different planet. That's not that's not in their indoctrination. It does not compute. So they'll think that you're the crazy one. And they'll think they're doing the world a favor by having you locked up or put away. That's what's really happening. We're living in a scientific dictatorship of which the public knows almost nothing. Even those who think they're waking up inside a patriot movement are going round in circles in a hundred thousand directions and blaming one little group or another little group without getting the big, big picture of how it's much bigger than all of that, much bigger than all of that. And there certainly are powers above powers, above even the groups that you might hate specifically, thinking they're the ones who are doing it. It's much, much bigger than that and much more clever. Now I've got Nadira from Toronto here. Are you there, Nadira? Hi, Alan. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Okay, hi, Alan. Um, I just want to let you know, I've been listening to some of the callers and whatnot, and I just want to let you know that the book you wrote, I read it, and for anyone questioning whether or not, uh, you know, to get it, they have to get this book because it explains so much. Thank you so very much. Um, a great book, and it, uh, they should get it. Another thing is, I don't want to hear you having to tell people about supporting you. Everyone who's listening tomorrow can surely afford a 10 or $20 money order. So they're all going to go out tomorrow and send that out to you. And while we're talking, can you hear me? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Um, you, you talk about how they, you say anger and uh, how, you know, the powers that be want to keep us subdued. Then you, on the other hand, say anger is not too good a thing. But um, don't we need to get a little enraged here, a little, you know, Yeah, what I have to do is I, I call it righteous indignation. Right, right. And, and, and you see, once we're angry, it's like judo or karate. If you lose your, your, your temper, you, you lose uh, the sight of what's happening immediately, and you're beaten. Mm-hmm. And so you must get righteous indignation, which is like a little, a little bit irked without losing your cool. Of so your intellect must always work cool blast all the time. Right. Uh, but you don't get to the angry phase until you end up uh, just shouting at cops. That's going to do no right. good at all. 
<laughs> you've, you've got to. It's the same thing with the riots in the streets, which will come. They know it's going to come, and they will agitate them into being, in fact. Um, there's no point bashing the guys in the ninja suits there with the shields, because they're just low-level minions, just like the faceless ones in the Star Wars series. Uh, they're just low-level employees. And the big boys, as always, sit above at any war, uh, smoking their cigars and drinking their brandy and laughing at it all. We have to go much higher than that. And, uh, you know, it, will it would take an awful lot of people at the right places to simply uh, tell, tell the big boys, uh, and I mean every parliament building in the planet, that we know what's going on. We know, and we're having no more of it. Because if we don't do it shortly, you know, we won't have a chance to do it at all. The big boys have this planned. They've planned a totalitarian system, which is truly coming into view. I've lost count of the laws that have been passed every day. I do get a lot of stuff sent to me. I never mention on the air. It's too, it's, some of it's too scary. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't want to petrify the public into inactivity. Uh, but yet uh, we're, we're going into a big scenario uh, in the near future, and people are going to be horrified. The, I mean, a real war situation when they will forcibly move, uh, perhaps even cities out to other cities and, and that kind of thing, real refugee stuff, full-scale war scenario that's coming. Right. I know. Yeah. Um, wow. You know, keep talking. I mean... You're, this is the only place where, you know, after a while in society, because everything is so numb, your brain gets kind of numbed out, too. So yes. keep talking. Keep You have explained so much, uh, so much about words. And uh, I really like that March 6th talk. It was beautiful. Um, keep talking. Thank you so, so very much. And people, come on. I need to hear this guy every week. So let's do our part. Have a good night, Alan. Thank and you. And thanks for calling, okay. dear. Ciao. Yeah, we're living, as I say, in, uh, in tough times. And uh, I mean, I've watched this for many years. I've, I've grown up knowing what was happening. My parents didn't even know. When I, I didn't know. I, I couldn't even get through to them. Because I went into books very early, uh, adult books. I read all the Russell books and the Wells's books and the Huxley book. All the Huxley members of the families wrote books, and I read them all. And uh, as far as back as Sir Thomas Huxley the power of Darwin, and into Darwin and his friends too. These characters are much more than the professions they were given or the titles that they were given. Uh, they were much, much more. Look at the contacts uh, who came to see the very young Charles Darwin. Tells you all you need to know about the world revolutionary system. It's all interconnected, and it was all um, basically given royal blessing from the top. All culture members, Plato said, comes from the top. And it's promoted downwards. They don't allow grassroots culture. They certainly don't support it financially. They would rather wither away because anything from the people it could have un unforeseen consequences with rippling effects and knock the whole agenda uh, off kilter. Now we've got uh, Will from Pennsylvania there. How you doing, Yes, is that Will? I wasn't expecting you to quick. Okay. I can look at a police state, the impending police state, lately, and it's really kind of disturbing. I think how we have more of the people, even if it does scare them. Uh, the question that's been lingering is what 
when you look into the documents and you see that they're preparing for riots, the moving question on everybody's list is what what are they planning to do to us <laughs> that they're expecting the people to riot? And it's not, from what I learned, I mean, as you said, we're, we're going to be walking antennas. Yeah. Brinsky's talking about frying people's brains. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Oh, we, are, we already are walking antennas because we've been breathing in metallic particles for the last 10 yeah, the years. The barium and the heavy metals, right? That's right. And so we are, already have uh, these doses in our systems. We're breathing it in. We swallow it. It's on the food. It's in the vegetables. It's in some people's drinking water, especially those in the cities, where they take the water right from reservoirs. That stuff's getting sprayed over every day. And so we are, we're, getting, we're already walking antennas. And we do know from the, from the declassified documentation on HARP-type technology, the ELF technology and the microwave technology, uh, that it makes it much more easy to target individuals or whole societies because you are basically a walking antenna. And people don't understand, Alan. I talk to some of these people. They think it's... They say, uh, well, how are they, why are they still living here if they're polluting the air? There's a polymer fiber... Yeah. In, in their chemtrails that they can pretty much, uh, you know, direct to a to a, an area. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know. Uh, well, I know you know. Uh, there, I came across the guy Michael Aquino, uh, NSA general. Yeah. This guy is scary. He looks like uh, a grown-up Eddie Munster. His wife's name is Lilith, and she looks like Lillian Munster. Yeah. Uh, I never heard you touch on this guy. I just came across him. It freaked me out. Uh, do you know any? No, it's just another you know, front man. That they, they, yeah, they put these characters out there to, to actually to entice young people into, um, uh, I think he was part of the Church of Satan, and uh, Aquino, of course. Yeah, uh, well, he founded his own temple, uh, temple of Set. Yes, and he, but remember where he worked for? He, he worked for the American uh, military in the PSYOPs department. That's your first clue. And uh, so he was a military, he's a Pentagon man starting one of these decks off. See, they made it all exciting for the youngsters during the heavy rock, heavy metal era to, to go into what they called Satanism uh, and to experiment with drugs and all the rest of it. Uh, many, they had to get people experimenting with drugs. It knocks them out of action and makes them very placid for the rest of their lives yeah. too. They become easy to control, more, more easily manipulated. Which so dovetails with the culture creations you talk about. Yeah, and same with Anton Levy. Uh, they're all connected, and uh, Anton Levy, I think his name, real name was. Your site, your site is the wealth, the treasure trove. Uh, I love it. Do you have anything up there about the MK Ultra program? I've uh, talked some on it. Um, with the MK Ultra, I should say that the CBC television series was done on it. Uh, it was called, uh, I think, the Sleep Room, or I think the White or the Sleep Room. You'll find that in cbcarchives.org, uh, um, and you can download that. I think it's free. Uh, but it's also a whitewash. Remember, whatever they exposed to the public is a whitewash for the higher stuff they were doing. Yes. They, they weren't just using um, rock music or, or repetition uh, while they strapped a, a motorcycle and, helmet onto you uh, and using LSD. They were also doing um, more remote-type uh, Again, electronic warfare techniques on them as well. And they also had a lot of young children there they didn't mention in the movie. Okay. I'm going to yeah. check that out. 
And they also have, like, in the media, they'll have buffers to where, you know, like Paul Harvey beyond be the headlines, which is another whitewash. Yeah. Even the people that, that are giving you the inside scoop are whitewashing it. And uh, they pretty much infiltrated us on that. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt about it. I mean, you look at this, a book called uh, Famous, I think it's 2,000 Famous Freemasons. I think everybody you've ever had in politics in every country is one. It's all, it's all there. Well, you, you keep up the great work, sir. I love your show, man. Okay. Thanks for calling. Thank you. Bye now. And we've got Jake from Texas. Are you there, Jake? Yes. Uh, I won't tell you to keep up the great work because I know what that means. What it means, I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, the thing I would like to, to talk to tonight is um, uh, the Special Weapons Progress Report. Have you ever uh, gone into those? Uh, I know Boyd Graves has done some work on those, mm -hmm. uh, talking about the um, uh, the development of AIDS yeah. uh, as a weapon. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, well, it first came out. The, the money was allocated to find something that would destroy the immune system completely uh, after Kissinger uh, came out with that particular bill when he declared that overpopulation was the number one enemy of the state. That's when well, the money well, was funded. I, I, I well would also like to, like to point out that, okay, I hear the music coming up and yeah, I'll we'll, hold on and we'll discuss it after the break. from Texas still on the line. Are you there, Jake? Yes, I'm here. Yes, uh, Well, uh, the thing I wanted to um, uh, get across is that uh, uh, the, this sort of thing has been going on since... For an awful long time. <laughs> yeah, since, like, the 1840s. I know, I know. So, I know that... <laughs> and most people don't even know that, mm -hmm. um, from what I, I haven't read all of these reports, and I haven't read every little page because there's, you know, there's thousands of pages yep. in this. Yeah. Uh, but I would like the listeners to know that they are out there. They are in like university libraries and things oh, yeah. like that. Mm -hmm. uh, the the reports that they want are the Special Weapons Progress Reports number eight nine. 12, 13, 14, and 15. And also the laws that the U.S. passed only about four years ago allowing them to test anything on the American public. Yes, that, that would probably be a good, good place to go to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, yeah, if you, if you get into these, you, you realize that they, they've been doing this since the 1840s. Yeah, and especially so, since. So the, they, they really wrapped it up. New. Yeah, they really started it heavily in World War I with all the troops when they could inject them. In fact, that's when the Spanish flu broke out. The troops brought them all back uh, from Europe and spread that Spanish flu all over the place. Well, well the, the flu virus was created. That, for, from what I can deduce from what I have read is that all viruses are created, have been created in a laboratory by people. And I wouldn't object to that because I tell you, I've studied them 
and the people don't know all the qualifications I've got, but I've studied them all right, and they look like tiny robots. They don't look like anything uh, from life or from nature, and they act like little robots. They even have uh, legs that will detract and retract, and they'll detract and come down and land on a cell. They have a little proboscis that comes out like, like a drill. It will drill right through the membrane and then empty its contents into the cell inside. It truly does look like a robot. But I've done a talk once on the, the Soviet system. They used viruses instead of antibiotics from 1917. And there was a Canadian doctor went over there, and it's called phagocytes. Uh, try and look up the, the program on the cbcarchives.org. On, uh, it's called phagocytes. Phagocytes, okay. Uh, incredible. It, it tells you that they had these things bred and they had viruses that could go after any other virus or bacterium. They still have it today. The rights were bought up by a company in New York, and uh, it's been suppressed in the States, although I believe a little place over in Europe has opened up and allowed it to be. It will cure any known disease. I'm talking about infectious disease. Okay. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to make the, the your listeners aware of this sort of stuff and, and where the references are. Yeah. Thank you very much for your work. Thanks for calling. Thank you. Bye. Yeah, so we're, we're, yeah, we're kept in the dark like mushrooms, and uh, we're fed uh, pablum and, and trivia, pablum and absolute trivia. It's quite amazing, you know, when you look at the whole communist uh, agenda, because they did publish the, the Communist International's um, meetings every year, and you'll find compendiums of them in books that nobody bothers reading, and it gives you the whole agenda for the world, and yet here's the Western countries that supposedly won the Cold War, uh, championing all of these parts of the same agenda. Why is that? Well, it's because the Cold War was necessarily set up as an evil empire that they could both be taxed to, to create tremendous weaponry, and all the weaponry would eventually be used on us. Now, I think the music's kicking in for the end of the show, and uh, I'll be back next week with more. So from Hamish and myself, up in a cold interior Canada, it's minus 17. It's good night to me, your God, or your gods go with you.